Welcome to The Alternative Investor, the show where we discuss, debunk, and demystify all things about investing in alternative assets. All right, Brad, we've talked about uh, sourcing deals. We've talked about analyzing deals. I think we've even talked about how to go out and raise money. We've talked a lot. We, we've, we've probably talked too much, but we have not really delved into the details of what goes into the pitch deck, You know, the, the document that you're going to send out to your investors, whether that's your friends or your family or institutional investors, to let them know about this deal and sort of market the deal and, and, and give them the opportunity to make a decision. Wow, that is so much value we're about to share. It, Do we charge for this podcast? We're going to drop some pearls today. Um, All right, I'm excited. Yeah, so, okay, so today we're, we're going to talk today about if you're going to go out and buy a business, what should be in your deal deck? All right, here we go. Okay, so this is going to be usually, this is either a PowerPoint deck or a Word document. I'll just start with that, All right? So, and this is kind of personal choice. Um, some folks just decide to write up a bunch of language in a Word document, include some charts in there, and other other folks decide to do this in a PowerPoint document. So figure out which one you're going to use. The medium isn't that important. It's not. And you can even use Keynote if you're a Mac user. Oh, good God. It, but just PDF it before you send it out. Okay, so then, you, so this is going to be a PowerPoint or Word document, and it is going to include the following. Um, and by the way, Brad, why don't you take the role today of the LP, the limited partner, the investor in the deal, and maybe you can kind of say what you'd be looking out for. Uh, I love role play exercises. <laughs> yeah, this is I, great. I know you do. <laughs> All right, here we go. So you, you start off with a cover. Oh, okay. Okay, so the cover just, you know, the, hey, here's here's the name of the company we're buying. Here's the, here's the name of our firm. This is the date, you know, maybe who it's prepared for. Maybe put a pretty picture on it. And this is just, this is just a formatting exercise. Okay, so after the cover, now you have potentially some legal language. Maybe there's a slide or it's just a paragraph where, uh, and you should check with your lawyers, but you probably have to say some things around, hey, this is not going to be registered with the SEC. You know, this is not, you know. You could not, lose all your money. <laughs> you, could, yeah, you could lose your money. Like, don't hold us accountable for everything in here. Um, you know, this is just a reasonable best, best estimate based on the information we were given. There's just some legal language that these things usually start with. Okay, so we got the cover and the legal disclaimer out of the way. Uh, now you launch into the investment highlights. Okay, so this is, is this the executive summary page? Yeah, this is this is like an executive summary. This can be like one or two slides or something like that. But essentially, it's the big reasons why you should do this deal. You know, it's like, hey, this is a you know this is a great product in a big and fast growing market, and you know we're getting it at a cheap price, and there's a deep competitive moat. You know, these are just kind of the big. You know, these can be bullet points or just short, you know, short summaries or paragraphs of sort of the big reasons why you should do the deal. Yeah, to me, this is actually the most important slide. And I, I know that all the details and facts and figures are going to follow in this deck. But really, if you can't make the pitch of why this is a good investment and why you should buy that business or investment in like a couple simple bullet points, then all the other stuff is probably worthless. Excellent point. Yeah. And it, this is just, this is a great forcing exercise too, to help you really distill what's interesting about this deal. Because by this point, you've been in this thing for weeks or months, right? And there's a lot of things to like, there's a lot of things to not like. And now you got to really list out sort of the three, four, five big, most important reasons to like the deal. And it, it, I find it to be pretty interesting. Yeah. And, helpful. I, and I would assume that this is a big editing exercise too, is because it's easier to just write, you know, create 20 different slides on, you know, why you should be doing this deal. You know what I mean? It's it's harder to write a succinct, very clear strategic sentence or two. Yeah. Right. Than it is to just 
you know, data dump. Yeah. I feel like, wasn't it Mark Twain who said it's easier to write a 10-page memo than a three-page memo? Yeah, I like that line. <laughs> or, you know, I'm sorry, you know, this memo is, uh, is so long, I, you know, I, I didn't have enough time. Uh, maybe that, that sounds more like Mark yeah, Twain. That's, that's probably. Did they even have memos back then? <laughs> um, okay, so the, you've got your, you start off with your executive summary, your whatever investment highlights, and this is kind of the first thing that the investors are going to really dig into, and this is going to set the stage for all the good things that are going to be coming later in the deck. So make it good. Okay, and then we're, you follow that one up with, uh, and by the way, there's not, there's no really no prescribed order to what I'm saying here. This is kind of the order that I like that I'm going to go through, but you know, feel free to mix and match. Uh, but basically, getting in now, you get into the overview of the actual business itself, right? And so, hey, what is the product or service that this business provides? You know, who who are the customers? Like, hey, this is a, you know, this is manufacturing software for you know s- small and medium sized apparel manufacturers or whatever it is. You know, start to get into what the product does. Um, what is the pain point for the customer? Why do they need it? Why do they buy it? What price do they pay? Um, all that stuff that kind of gets gives them a picture of sort of what this company actually does. Is this you know, oftentimes investors are looking across a range of industries and they you know they'll, they'll find, you know you'll you'll be putting a company in front of them but they have no idea what the company actually does. I find that um, that happens to me all the time. Um, well, what are you gonna, what are you looking for, Brad, as an investor in this section? Well, I think uh, the, the most important thing is just realizing does this does this company have a future does it have growth opportunities and is it something that has uh, some defensible base where we feel like you know it can't be replicated really easily by a bunch of new competitors yeah yeah good point and i it, this is the section where the investors who truly understand the market or the the product or service that you're investing in or that you're buying you know they'll they'll get it pretty quickly and they'll have a reaction it'll sort of like oh i love this market or i hate this market and the folks that have never sort of, you know, been in this industry before or know anything about it, you know, they'll spend a lot of time here really trying to understand it. And they might even they might even make some phone calls to folk, you know, people that they know in these industries understand what these things do. Yeah, and I feel like once again back to the this shouldn't be like you know fifty pages for for this section. It should be pretty simple because I think that there's probably you know maybe five or six core principles for every industry, and then yeah, sure you can go to fifty different variables, but they're all just really dependent on those first five or six. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so if you're, if you're buying a pretty technical product, you, you might spend a little bit more time here. Like my partner and I are currently looking at buying a software company and it, it's actually pretty technical what they do. And you sort of have to really understand, you know, the market that they play in. Um, so we've spent a little bit more time on it, but yeah, in general, I agree with you, especially if it's a more simple kind of service business or something like that. But yeah, you know, maybe put uh, the company history in here too, like a timeline when when the company was founded. Like, hey, this is, you know, this is this is bass fishing tournament software, and it was founded. Ooh. Yeah, this is exciting. Founded by you know Jim Bob back in 1997. <laughs> you know, and his his sister slash wife. You know, Ellie May, um, sister wife. Yeah, sister wife. And uh, <laughs> you know, they're they're the uh, you know they're the leading bass you know bass tournament you know fishing software company, and um, it's here, a business. Yeah. I'm sure there's, I'm sure they're out there. Uh, yeah. But a company timeline here and maybe even an org chart, right. Where you can kind of show like who are the critical players in the organization, how many people they have, um, how it's organized functionally across departments. You know, you've seen these, right. These flow chart looking documents. Totally. Like, um, you know, all these, all these little legs hanging off of them. Anyway, so that's a company overview, product overview. This just gives the investors an idea of what this business actually yeah, does. Yeah, and so this is like the equivalent of, of uh, you know, a team deck for real estate, which is usually the you know, the principles. Uh, and then they're kind of supporting players. 
And so here I'd just be make, wanting to make sure that, look, okay, buying a company in, in a great industry with a defensible technology is, is great and all that, but do we have the right people in place? That's what I would be looking for in that slide. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's hard to, frankly, it's hard to tell that. And there are a lot of questions around the team that kind of come out of this. Like, Hey, why, you know, why do they have such a small marketing department? Or, you know, it looks like I, I did a LinkedIn search on, on Jim Bub's brother-in-law, the CTO, and he's only had one year of community college. He has no technical degree or something, but yeah. Hell of a fisherman though. Just, uh, just understands bass to a T, but yeah, no, good point. So, okay. That's the, that's sort of the product company overview the next section that you're going to want to have is now you want to do an industry overview and, and even get into the competition. So this is like, hey, you've talked about the specific company or product and kind of what they do. Now what's the larger industry or market that they play in? You know, there's a broad collection of, of you know, tournament software out there that potentially competes with Jim Bob's bass fishing tournament software. Um, you know, here are the main competitors. Here's the strengths and weaknesses of each relative to Jim Bob's company. Um, you know, just help the, help the investors understand how big is this market? What's happening? Is it growing? Is it declining? Are there any big changes adrift in this market that's going to potentially, you know, shift the industry over the next three to five years, that kind of stuff. I don't know. What, what would you be looking for, uh, as an investor, Brad, in, in this Something, section? The nuclear, you know, negative thing that could kill the company is what I'd be focused on here, you know, cause it's like the like, existential threat. Yeah. Like, the, uh, parking garages when, you know, when cars are going to be driving themselves in 20 years, something like that. Yeah, that's fair. In fact, we, at one point, my partner and I looked at a records management software business. So this is software that manages the big facilities where you store, you know, all the lawyers will like iron mountain. Yeah. Kind of like an iron mountain. Yeah. It seems like a good business, but cloud did cloud kill that? Well, yeah. I mean, just, I think just in general, people are just producing less paper. And so, yeah, Iron Mountain was a hell of a business for 30 years. And, I, you know, I, I'm assuming it's, they're, they're still growing, but it, I'm sh their growth is flattened. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, you don't got to have a hell of a discount rate for that <laughs> yeah. buy. You don't want to be buying software that manages uh, paper storage facilities right now. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the sort of industry kind of market competition section. And now we come to, Brad, probably your favorite part. Probably my least favorite part, but sort of the financial analysis section. Ooh, get in the weeds. This is the meat of the deck, right? This is the all of the analysis that you've done in Microsoft Excel, all the spreadsheets and all the all, all the uh, projections and building up what the company's going to look like over the next three to five years, where it's been historically. This is where you're going to summarize that information. And I think what you know, I don't want to speak for you, Mister Investor, but I think Brad, what you're looking for here probably is like, what, what's my expected return on this investment, and what kind of crazy weird assumptions did this person make to get there? Yeah, the expected return I actually don't even look at because you don't get these decks with a crappy oh, expected return. Okay. So you just assume it's like meeting I, your I know it's going to be good, right? I mean, so the assumptions is the best part. And also how thorough somebody is and how, how they thought through the, the various scenarios I think is critical. But mostly the assumptions. Like are we, are we assuming we're going to be, you know, doubling this thing in growth every six months, right? Well, that's pretty unrealistic. Yeah, I like your point about not even looking at the IRR, the expected return, because it's almost, you're right, you can have it, you can make that number say whatever you want. It, it all depends on the assumptions and how you got there. So, and I also look at margins. I, I'm big, at least with real estate, I, I want to make sure that uh, if none of these projections come to life, like, how can we still service the debt? Can we still pay people? Right? That's kind of what I look at versus, oh, you know, we're going to make a 50 IRR here. Yeah, fair. And, uh, 
you know, this, so mar, by the way, the margins thing is interesting because I know one of the key metrics that my investors look at is they, they look at what the, what the uh, current net margin of the business is, the current profit margin, you know, call it 10%, maybe Jim Bob Software is doing 10% margin. And then they look at what you've projected that to be in five years, right? And so if you've gone from 10% to 30% margins in five years, you've probably made some very aggressive assumptions that, you know, are going to be hard to justify. Yeah. And then you can probably compare that versus industry standard margins, right? For similar software. Yeah. Yeah. All the other best tournament software is doing 15% margins. Why are you at 30%? Yeah. Because we're the best. We got to weigh the fish and that, you know, goes in the software and people cheat in fishing. Do you you hear this? They actually like, will. Oh, They'll stack the deck and, and put like <laughs> uh, weight into the fish's mouth. Dude, I grew up in Florida, man. This is what we did on weekends. Oh, oh we, my goodness. You should have bought this business. A lot of bass. Yeah. So, but yeah, you want to have, you touched on this, but you want to have multiple scenarios here where it's like, hey, if, if everything just goes perfectly, you know, this is our upside scenario. This is what we think the, you know, the, the maximum return can be. And oh, yeah. by the way, if everything goes terribly wrong and, you know, none of our assumptions come to light and the business actually declines here's the worst case scenario. Yeah. You know? This is probably why I'm not a venture capital investor or a private equity investor, because I, I immediately start thinking about the downside. But my philosophy is that the upside takes care of itself, right? The upside, every, everything's going to work out and it's all going to be great, whether it's a 20 IRR or a 40 IRR, right? That's wonderful. But yeah. I want to know what happens if things don't go to plan. Yeah. And yeah, I think, and I think a lot of my investors would agree with you. They, and some businesses are pretty protected, right? Like even your worst case scenario, it's like, hey, we're you know we have very sticky customers and aren't going anywhere. This industry isn't expected to implode anytime soon. So if we had to, we would reduce headcount and just you know distribute profits and and not grow. And sometimes that's those, a great answer to that. Sometimes those returns can actually be okay, depending on the price you're paying. Yeah, that's what I would be looking for because then you have a, a skewed outcome. The probability of you making a lot of money, right, is pretty good. If if your base case is, well, we're probably going to do all right. We're not going to lose money. Yeah, and we still have a fifty percent chance that we're going to hit a home run. Well, that's a great that's a great investment. Yeah, no, I think on the upside scenario. You know, I think that investors just want to see that this sort of matches what you've told them about the industry and the market, right? So if you said this is a massive market with a lot of greenfield, a lot of lot of space to sell new customers, hopefully that's a great upside opportunity and not not a limited one because there's probably going to be more risk with this deal. You're probably paying more for it. Uh, okay, so that's the financial analysis section. Uh, you know, you'd, other things that would go in there would be like a P and L for the next you know future projections on a P and L. Like, hey, this is what our our profit and loss statement is going to look like for the next five years. Um, you know, here's how many customers are going to be adding each year. Here's going to be our revenue and expenses, that kind of stuff. Do you put the actual, you know, Excel data tables in the deck or do you prefer to just do the summary and then throw that in exhibits? Yeah, I've seen both. I, I prefer just to put more detail in there in that section, just cause I do think people care and they want to see it. I prefer the latter. Interesting. You prefer the summary. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you at the end of this, if you're going to invest in my Jim Bob software. So we'll see. <laughs> Um, I'm okay. still waiting to be sold. So Brad, I'm interested. All right, Brad. So we've gotten through a few sections now. Okay. By this point, we're probably, I don't know, this has probably taken us two weeks already at this point to create this document. The next section might be something around like key opportunities and risks. All right. And this, this might be like a summary of, Hey, you know, here's, here's some big opportunities to grow this business. Like, this is why we think this is an interesting opportunity. Um, you know, whatever, like we think there's a lot of customers out there and we can raise prices on them and they're not going to leave or something like that. Or, Hey, uh, you know, this, this company's only had one sales rep for the past 25 years and that person's been calling on their it's, friends. It's their cousin. Yeah, it's their cousin. He's a mainly fishing most of the time. Um, Jimmy, 
but yeah, also not only the opportunities, but the risks, right? And say, hey, here's what could go wrong, right? And so, you know, all the bass could die because of global warming and there'd be no more bass fishing tournaments. Wow, that's dark. That is, I just pulled that one out. That's, that's sad. I hope that doesn't happen. But, you know, usually what I see, Brad, and I think you, you agree with me, when, when, the, when the person creating this deck calls out the risks, right next to the risks, they have the mitigants. The risks right? and mitigants. Right. So the mitigants are like, hey, here's why this risk isn't such a Here's big, why you should ignore this risk. Here's why this isn't material. Yeah. Or, you know, like global warming is a myth or something like that. And, and then these bass, fishes, bass fishing tournaments are going to be fine. Yeah. So actually, here's a tip. Put in real risks here, not just like throwaway risks. Yeah, because it just shows you're you're being like honest and authentic and thoughtful, right? Yeah, because at the end of the day, this is also a big leap of faith and trust on behalf of the investors, and so they want they want to make sure that you're being completely open about how they could lose their money and how this could all go to zero. Yeah, um, or how you know it's not going to work out. And so I think if you are forthright and say, "Hey, look, here is the biggest risk," and just you know be matter of fact of it. Then you don't look like you're hiding anything, and uh, if you can address that big real risk and get still get them comfortable, well, you're getting that check. <laughs> That's true. It is scary though. I, I've done these, and you're like, "Gosh, man, this is a real risk." Like, do I put this in here? And you know, you, yeah, you got to do it, especially if it's if it's bothering you. It's, it's probably means it has to be in there. Yeah, like here's an example. So uh, people ask all the time, like, "What what stops you from taking the money and going to Mexico?" And when I first started out, not much, by the way. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. So when I first started out. Your own sense of I, ethics. No. So I, I would I would go into like this lengthy explanation about why that was never going to happen, yada, yada. And here's the protection. Oh, you had like real reasons why yeah, you just yeah. couldn't and do that. And it was like, you know, five minutes in, I've lost, you know, I've lost their attention and it doesn't sound, you know, they because they're like, you're bullshitting me. You're bullshitting me. Yeah. So now it's, I'm very upfront. Look, there's very little stopping me, the reality. Like if you're wiring money to a bank account that, that we control. And you're not wiring the money to the closing or the attorney, then there's not much. And you you do love Mexican food, so actually God, for, for you particularly, this is a really. Mar I hope you put margaritas in Cehuataneo. That being said, I don't think you put this risk in your in your document. Like no, I, I could no, just no. bolt to Mexico with the money. That, that, that I don't think <laughs> that, that, that that's not a good risk uh, for key or risk of mitigation. Yeah, keep that one to yourself. Yeah. Okay, so then. Uh, and you probably here you might want to finish now. The last section might be the post acquisition plan, right? So, what are you going to do once you buy this thing? You know, this might be a few slides of, and maybe there's some timing associated with this. Like, hey, here's what we're going to do, and here's the here's when we're going to do it. But assuming you know, most people buy these businesses because they want to grow them. Some people just buy them because they're steady cash flow machines, and that's fine too. And that might you know maybe the post acquisition plan is you just stabilize the business, but this section is going to include all the different things you're going to do, right? And so you're going to go in, maybe you're going to want to grow sales. You want to hire someone in the marketing department. Uh, you know, you want to like change all the marketing activities. I don't know. There's lots of things you could do. Um, and this is where you'd, where you'd put that. So, well, Brad, I got to ask, as an investor, what are you going to look for in the um, post-acquisition plan section? The post-acquisition plan section. Well, yeah, like, can you actually operate this thing? Because we've chatted about this before where it's like there's a it's a different skill set, doing a deal, finding a deal, closing a deal versus running the damn yeah, thing. it is different. It, it is really different. I mean, sure, sure, there's some overlap in terms of like being diligent and following through and, and being ambitious, yada, yada. But there's, you know, a lot of systems and detailed work in running a, a business and leadership, right? There's no leadership in, you know, closing a deal. It's just hustle and being savvy and getting a little lucky. Interesting. Um, yeah. So as an investor, you're going to sort of match up what's in that post acquisition plan 
section with the the skills and competency of that person. Yeah, like, like if you had two investment banking guys um, or those you know types of personalities that were leading the deal, and then you're you're buying a business that is a incredibly technical, deep, you know, tech I, IP right, complicated software deal. And you got nobody that's you know on the on the principal side that's good at that stuff. Then that raises red flags. Yeah, although maybe in the post acquisition plan to get you comfortable, they're like, hey, we you know there's there's a C, you know, we we're going to hire a new CTO because Jim Bob's brother in law whatever left Failed. us. <laughs> you know, so uh, that might be a place where they know it's a risk and they get you comfortable. Um, so yeah, I I you know this is a fun section because now you get to like talk about all the things you're going to do to change the business and. Um, I think, again, showing a little humility here is always goes a long way. I don't think you want to come in and say, like, we're going to just radically overhaul this business in three months because that's unlikely to happen. Wouldn't the investor really want to see that uh, in this section that if you just do the basics well here, you can really move the needle? That's a great question. So, yes, I think yes. I think most investors would say, I don't want to rely on anything crazy having to happen for this to be a successful investment. Like that base case scenario we alluded to earlier, that really should be business as usual, maybe plus a little bit of incremental improvement, but you know what I mean? Not much. So yeah, yeah. no, that's a good point. Yeah. To me, it's almost like the strength of the business and the industry really outweighs, um, you know, your big strategy uh, that you're going to do and change Uh, up the business. Come on, give us your favorite Warren Buffett quote. (laughs) (laughs) I know you have one on this one. Uh, Well, there's the one, you know, I wasn't teeing this up, but there is, you know, something about a bad business meets a great leader or something like that the bad business always wins yeah the yeah when a great when, when a great manager meets a, a terrible industry it's not the man it's not the industry that loses its reputation so, <laughs> oh man yeah that's i love that we guy. got there eventually it took us a while but. sorry okay so uh yeah so post acquisition plan here's a here's all the wonderful things we're going to do to the business and then but that's it and that you know that's i know that sounded like a lot and it can be that was 20 minutes big whoop <laughs> It's just, well, maybe it didn't sound like a lot. In that case, we're, we're just uh, we're just lazy. But, you know, I, again, I think, Brad, the important point here is that this sort of does depend on who your investors are, right? If you're just going out to sort of your friends and family who, and they know you really well, you might not need to boil the ocean here and do all this, right? You could do, you know, a three or five page document. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that is a key point here. So this is this is probably the the end of the spectrum of overkill, right? Uh if, if you're going to professional investors who do this, you know, 24 seven, yeah, you're probably going to need all this stuff. But if you're going to, you know, your, your buddies and your family, then you can probably get away with just the basics, right? And it could probably be 10 slides. Uh, as long as you've addressed. It, could, it might even be a phone call to your rich uncle. Yeah, it could definitely be a phone call or this, a text even. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the key here is that we wanted to cover just about anything you could think of that was important in this, right? And give you a framework because it, it removes a lot of questions for people if you address all these things. You could certainly do the calculus that, well, we're only going to spend a couple of days on this or a day and address the really important stuff. And uh, and then we'll just address ad hoc questions. But this, I think what you've laid out here, uh, removes doubt in the, the potential investor's mind that you it's like that you haven't really thought through all the the angles. Yeah. Yeah. It gives them confidence that, um, you know, that this is a deal that they want to do. And that's the point. Um, okay. So, Brad, you saw my deck on Jim Bob's uh, best tournament fishing software. Are you in? 
well, you didn't, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm really uh-huh. sold. Okay. Uh, I, I wanted a couple follow-up uh, calls, but uh, I'm, I'm intrigued. Okay, what a waste of time. All right, <laughs> back to the drawing board. All right, good luck out there. And if you, uh, if you find a deal and you want to get into this, feel free to email us if you have any questions. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Alternative Investor. Since you've made it this far, you should take a second to subscribe to the podcast and join our email list. There, you'll receive additional insights and insider access to the world of alternative investments. Just visit thealternativeinvestorshow.com.